1: Life's so full on. I've been working on this deck for ages. These steaks don't cook themselves, you know. Life's good with a Trex deck. Composite decking made from 95% recycled materials that won't rot, stain, or fade. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.
2: It's time to cast off on a new adventure. This is Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron
1: Habgood. For BF Goodrich, celebrating 150 years.
0: Hello and welcome to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich to celebrate the 150th anniversary of BF Goodrich. Get up to $150 cash back when you purchase four or more passenger or SVU tyres. And good morning to you, Mr. Dangerfield. How are you?
3: Morning, Redman. I tell you what, my tyres are going to be in need of being pumped up once the, uh, once the AFL season finishes because I won't have been home for about five months. It's- Batches will be shot. I walk in there. The car might not even be in the shed anymore. It might have might have
0: disappeared. <laughs> um, you've obviously had the family arrive up into the the hub life, as you call it, in the Gold Coast at the minute. Probably a little bit of a handful. I'm tipping that uh, apartment that I'm looking at you on the phone at the minute isn't massive, and George might tear it apart any day.
3: Well, I've actually uh, commandeered nautical term Aaron uh, another room to record in today because if I was in the accommodation. Where Marge and I and the kids are staying, it is, uh, it's ground zero. It's, it's, it's an absolute bombsite, but you know, that's okay. Um, it's funny. We, we all track our suite with, with, uh, aura rings, they're called. And a lot of AFL clubs are, are using these now. And in fact, in the NBA, all NBA players have them and it's, they're using them to try and sort of track COVID body temperature, heat, that sort of thing. We use them at the club to to monitor our sleep, so you get a bit of a sleep score. It it sort of determines um, deep sleep, number of hours, optimal timing, all these sort of um, these measurables. And mine, from the six weeks that I didn't have kids and it was just the boys, was sort of sleep score in the 90s. Phenomenal. There's a lot that are sort of worse than that. The sleep score is very good. Kids arrive.
0: Into the seventies. Absolutely, disaster. I don't think the fans want to hear that because <laughs> you uh, has been playing some pretty bloody good football. Patrick, don't start saying that stuff. We're going to see a decreasing performance.
3: Well, it, it didn't stop the hawk on the weekend. It did uh, not stop yeah.
0: the hawk. He was—he's uh, looking twenty-two years old, fit, strong, and athletic.
3: Actually, if you—if and um, I'll be gentle on the hawk—if you saw him at twenty-two versus thirty-two, he looks far better now. <laughs> He looks far better now, the great man. He's <laughs> killing him.
0: He's put on a clinic, and uh, I actually forgot to mention this to you. I haven't even mentioned it to you off-air. My favourite player this year, and I like my different players, is the man himself. When I say the man himself, is the definition of a man. My mate Charlie Dixon from the Port Adelaide Football Club. He is a we man mountain. I just like everything about him. He is just... <laughs> he's, the way he plays, he is the ultimate man. I said to Kari, like... That, that that's your hall pass there, if you and because he is a man in a man mountain, and you copped a chestful of the man mountain during the week.
3: Well, last Brady, week, maybe it's um, maybe no, it's your hall pass. It sounds more. Like I really like Catholic. Charlie.
0: He's uh, yeah, I do. He's he's my man. A thick
3: beard and a thick beard and average tattoos, just like
0: you. I don't like his tattoos that much, to be honest with you, but he can play footy. Uh, you
3: cannot talk, Mister. Not with what you're rolling with. Anyway, get into the fishing. You're chasing gummy sharks this week, old
0: boy. Ah, uh, yeah, it was a miserable week here in Victoria, Patrick. You're uh, actually lucky that you're up in sunny Queensland because we are copying a flogging here and a little bit nicer at the start of the week. And I managed to get offshore. We've got some beautiful uh, gummy sharks. And I'm going to talk a little bit about on Cooking Flake. We had a question that come up for our Real Adventures app, and you can check out our Real Adventures app. You head to any. Any platform that you can download. There's that many platforms, Patrick, with different phones these days. Where do you start? You've got Android, Google Google Play, Play. (laughs) iTunes, Apple Store, sorry. But make sure you download the Real Adventures app, send us a question, and we'll do our best to answer them on the show. But like I said, gummies, plenty offshore. They were fantastic for us. And the calamari are making their way down, Pat, and we're going to talk about squid eggs in the coming weeks. Not yet. It's a bit early, but we're going to start to talk about uh, different methods in probably probably three to four weeks' time. So we're going to teach you guys at home how to head out and catch yourself some seriously big calamari. And I got some beautiful calamari over in front of Sorrento the other day because uh, I'm in stage three, so we are allowed to fish, as me and uh, Daniel and I headed out. But down in the common areas so of Queenscliff around the rock wall there, you're starting to see some big numbers come... Uh, so big calamari come through, which are going to be our spawning squid, and they're going to drop their eggs, and you're going to have the time of your life catching some of the biggest calamari you can catch. Pretty much all around the whole country, to be honest, Pat. But you did manage to sneak out and have a little fish. You sent me some photos during the week.
3: So you just totally ignored the gummy sharks that you caught. No, or... I said, like
0: I said at the start of it. I got some beautiful gummy sharks offshore. You, you got secret spots that you don't want to tell everyone about. <laughs> I was where did I fish? Oh I'll tell you where I didn't catch him on the on the Tuesday. I caught him <laughs> off Bowen Head. Don't fish there. No, I got some beautiful fish down off uh, Sorrento the first day. Then Bowen Heads, I actually did donut. Uh, the wind was meant to be light, and Victoria did its finest work and produced me with a twenty knot westerly, which isn't very nice. And I couldn't even tuck up to Torquay because I was in a little a mate's little boat, and to push up there was going to be a pain in the backside. So we stayed around Bowen Heads there, and I'll, it's a great area where I fished there. We just got unlucky and we missed out. But um, like I said before, you did get out and have a little bit of a fly fish with your new rod. I'm tipping.
3: Yeah, that or just escaping the children for a couple of <laughs> hours. We got, got up early. We actually went down to Corrumbin. So about sort of half an hour from uh, Mantra at Southport um, where we're all staying. So I snuck down there into the river mouth there. It's a beautiful little spot. It's Still commercialised, but doesn't have the high rise buildings that the Gold Coast has. So, um, it's a really great place to take your kids. It's got a beautiful river, mark, river, river mouth there, if I can speak properly. Um, and actually caught some beautiful little brim just on, on really small, uh, saltwater flies and randomly hooked some, um, some mullet as well. So it was just nice to sort of spend a bit of alone time on that low tide and then to sort of wade out into the water. And there's, there's an absolute plethora of brim around crumb, and it's extraordinary just the numbers and as soon as you start to kick your feet into the sand and start to um, dig up some of the crustaceans that live in the sand the, the, the broom comes so close the biggest problem is that they're actually sitting sort of three or four feet <laughs> off your feet. So casting your fly that close is your biggest challenge. But that'd suit one, me down Pat. Beautiful...
0: <laughs> I wouldn't have to cast too far. <laughs> I'm sitting there trying to flick <laughs> it around.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful little place, and fishing. Obviously, I've found fishing early in the morning uh, around Gold Coast and certainly Queensland, just given the the weather conditions and how the wind does blow up. Sort of anywhere from sort of ten o'clock onwards, it really does start to kick up. But we've had some great weather up here in terms of um, boating conditions; there hasn't been too much swell, so you just see a plethora of fishermen chasing all the tailor up along um, sort of the broad beach beaches and pushing right down to uh, snapper uh, right along the coast. There's there's fishermen ever at the moment. Um, obviously, the the signs are good with the amount of tailor being caught at the moment.
0: You have you considered taking the fly out onto the tailor at all now that you know they're there?
3: Not really. The the rods that have actually taken up this isn't big enough. It's probably I think it's eight six nine six, long. Like it's, it's, it's not massive. It is a freshwater rod. The yeah. only reason I actually took it, I took it to Perth when we were in lockdown and was just sort of practicing my casting. It's one of the things that you can do quite easily, um, you know, without any line. You don't really need a leader on. You can, um, I didn't want to put nicks in my line, but it was more around practicing that. And then we didn't know we were coming to Queensland at the start of our initial. Uh, Move into that Western Australia hub, so it was just by by chance that I happened to have it up here. So it's definitely more suited to um, estuary fishing than it is saltwater fishing. But um, yeah, just, there's been so many
0: Taylor. You did mention oh, I'd have to be. How long have you been locked down now? It'd be probably ten weeks ago. You had a couple of the boys wanting to learn how to fly fish. Did anyone actually have a crack at it, Master? I don't think Gary Rowan wanted to have a go.
3: Yeah, he's a big fan of his fishing, Gaz.
0: Uh, so he had a bit of a crack
3: at it. Crack at it. I think the easiest people I've always found to to teach to fly fishing. Oh, I'm by no means uh, proclaiming I'm an expert, but are, are women because they actually listen compared to the <laughs> blokes that think they know best and they treat it like a uh, like a stock whip or something. <laughs> okay. so I was.
0: With a picture I Gary was rolling there. on the farm doing that.
3: <laughs> exactly. I was. You know, you're virtually working your elbow from ten o'clock to sort of one o'clock, two o'clock at the absolute max. And then just having the patience to leave your line in the air long enough to then feed more line. And, yeah, it's, it's a great thing to get into. It really is. It's, it's such an enjoyable form of fishing. So you just got to get um, a Range
0: Rover and a pair of Ray-Bans before you actually buy your first fly rod. That's the big deal, isn't it? Well, exactly right. <laughs> so um, once you've got that, then, then you're all set. I've got a, a little question for you, Pat, and it's coming off the back of something I see on social media during the week. The oldest known living vertebrae known on the planet, which is the Greenland shark, which was located in the Arctic Ocean, and it's now a very, very young age of 393 years old, which has been roaming since uh, 1627. Now, that's awesome. That's pretty cool. Shark, it's been around for over uh, 300 years. How Nearly 400 years. How in the hell do scientists know that? Because it's still swimming, and how you check a fish is by its ear bone. Do you reckon scientists are pulling our leg leg there or what?
3: (laughs) (laughs) I did say to you off air when we were talking about this, maybe it's like a a piece of uh, timber. It's like a tree. Cut it in half and then (laughs) just count the amount of circles and that's how long it's been living for. Uh, It was amazing to hear that. And you just think to yourself, imagine what that shark has experienced and what the waters would have been like 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 300 years ago, and just the amount of fish life compared to the overfishing that's, that the world has experienced over the past few hundred years, the things that that thing would have seen, quite spectacular, um, almost, Redmond as spectacular as the cocaine bust in New South Wales. Now, if you're interested in this, it's, it's doing the rounds on social media at the moment, and New South Wales police actually posted um, their vision, is their chest can uh, vision of Australian Border Patrol, Border Force, um, intercepting a fishing vessel, carrying 1,890 blocks of cocaine at around a kilo each. Quite extraordinary, <laughs>
0: oh, thats It's got to be one of the... Or it is the biggest bust, but it's got to be one of the most amazing things that I've seen uh, on the head cam or the chest cam that you mentioned because it, you can actually, like you said, watch the video on the law enforcement social media pages. And, Pat, it was not good conditions when they apprehended this vessel, was it? It was a... Oh, I didn't get the actual size of the fishing vessel, but a normal size fishing trawler, and this the, the police. Um, I you guess you say sort of
3: ten to fourteen meters. Yeah, something the, like that. Yep. The ribbed inflatable just bangs into it, and eight hundred and fifty million dollars worth of cocaine later,
0: literally eight hundred and fifty million. So, if you are in uh, for more information, you do want to actually watch that video. Make sure you head to the uh, head to the uh, law enforcement pages that we just spoke about. They will have it there for you.
3: LV Reels, we've spoken to the wonderful people at LV Reels and Seven Mate are airing a special doco uh, which celebrates 100 years of LV Reels on Father's Day. Um, It's been such an iconic Australian fishing brand. Your memories of LV?
0: Oh, to tell you the honest truth, I didn't have a lot of experience uh, with Alvi Reels other than the fact that whenever you went to anyone's house as a kid, this is what I can remember of them, is everyone had them. So dad had them, yeah. pop had them. That's how I remember them. And then obviously doing the research and we've had guests on the show like you spoke about, you start to get uh, build a bit more of a relationship with them and understand the technology, where they've come from, to being where they are now. And Pat, we, we spoke about it with Alvi and how they were done. They were literally done for. Like, how long ago? It wasn't long ago. And they literally nearly had to shut up shop. And now it's great to hear that they are now going stronger than they ever have in the 100 years of uh, actually making the reels and the products that they have on um, that you can purchase. So that's great to hear. But, Patrick, danger, the danger, the vessel, the one and only vessel you can have, it's going to be the danger must-haves for electronics. So... Basically, what I'm trying to say is if you had the choice to fit out your boat, Pat, with all the electronics that you want on it, what are your four go-tos, four to five go-tos? I'm going to give you a little bit of a head start. I'm going to say an autopilot. Before you
3: start, start, we're going to go to a break because, as usual, you run your mouth over time. So, luckily, I'm actually keeping control of it. And we're heading to a break, Red. Well,
0: we'll do that straight after the break then. Up next, the Social Club, you're listening to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich. And don't forget to download the new Real Adventures app, it has all of our latest podcasts, fishing news, tips, and recipes. We'll see you after the break.
1: You're listening to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich, celebrating 150 years.
0: Welcome back to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich celebrating 150 years, Patrick. Before we went to the ad break, I was about to go into another another topic I wanted to discuss, and that was the ultimate boat for dangers, new boat for must haves for electronics. Now, Pat,
3: well, it's like, it's lucky that I cut you off because, and this is what you need to understand, Aaron, when you put on mic set one, <laughs> you are in charge of the show. You have mic set one at the moment. You're supposed to be the number one host. Keep control of everything. And this includes the timing of the segment. Just now, how many times do I have to say to you, "You're in I can't baby you and
0: carry you through every single segment? Patrick, you just be quiet on your little headset over there because I've got the information for the punters out there. I don't care about time. If I get in trouble, and got to cut a bit out. As long as the info's there, I can... <laughs> Righto, you be quiet. We're going into your must-haves for electronics on the new Danger Vessel what are you? What do you want to put on it? Now, I've got a couple of things that I would I want you to get. So, I, when I use your boat, that it costs you money, not me. But, Patrick, <laughs> autopilot is that a must for you? I reckon this is we're talking a little bit unrealistic here, too. A little, little bit unrealistic. Autopilot? Well, there's nothing wrong with a dream boating list. I
3: think we all have it, Brad. And I'm building a house at the moment, a dream house that you start with and what you end up with. There's always compromises. That, <laughs> that's life. But, no doubt, autopilot on a seven and a half meter boat, I think. You know, we've we've both design this this boat, to be fair, as our real adventures um, boat and something that we can trailer right around the country, whether it be chasing and targeting sawfish off lake's entrance or working up right up to Cairns like we did last year in a 750 North Bank. It's designed to go anywhere. So autopilot, without doubt, is a must. Simply with how um, the hours that we'll do if we chase marlin or chase tuna, just being able to lock into a heading and then sit back
0: and fish if it. It's just the two of us. It's a must-have. Next one, radar. Oh, I think this is the bit of this is the biggest factor going around. Uh, but like I said, it's the unrealistic. So we're putting it on because when it is a bit rough, you can spend some serious money, and I'm talking tens of thousands of dollars on a good radar. And uh, you can pick but up birds. you can that. pick up birds from a distance away, Patrick.
3: They can and. Majority of the time, the fishing that we do, we're not necessarily reliant on birds unless we chase tuna. But you can certainly buy and purchase radars in that sort of 1800 to sort of two and a half grand mark, especially the Garmin one. So they have certainly come down in price, whether it's something that we end up putting on there. It's a maybe for mine.
0: That won't be the one I'm suggesting. Anyway, uh, (laughs) transducer types, I'm going to make sure you have a one kilowatt high wide. And I also want you to have a two kilowatt uh, low wide because I want to do some deeper water, like you said, with the uh, with the swordfish.
3: Now, talk us through the differences between the two because this is important. Most people, when they look to purchase a new sounder, are only concerned around the screen. Those that know fishing know clearly the most important part is the transducer, the clarity that it produces. And the difference that it makes in deep waters, shallow uh, waters, the life scope, which we've seen
0: a lot of different brands adopt, has been a huge game changer. So talk us through the importance of the transcript. So your 1 kilowatt and 2 kilowatt, they're basically the the power. That's what's generating the power to actually give you the picture that returns to your screen. So you can buy a 600-water, which is your average sort of for example, start out unit you'd put in a boat if you're getting into boating. You could buy you probably get a Garmin unit and a transducer for a grand, a couple of grand to be honest with you, Pat. But going into serious fishing, like your one kilowatt, so that's going to give you depth in a high wide from up to close to probably 300 meters. But it's going to give you the when I say high wide, the beam on it, uh, depending on the degrees that you put it at, will give you a very clear picture of the fish that's going to be underneath you. And it's going to have the power to produce as the kilohertz to give you an accurate reading on your screen. Now, your 2 kilowatt, I want that in a low-wide. So the reason for that is the 2 kilowatt, which is, like I said, the power of the actual transducer itself, and then the, the wide, the low-wide, what that means is it's going to be a slower transducer picture going down, uh, sorry, a slower return coming up and down, but it's going to be a, on the wide, so the LW part, so the low and the wide, which is the low wide, the wide part's going to give you the actual uh, cone picture down to the depth that you're going to be fishing. So the two kilowatts, of the power, and I want it. Uh, in the low. I don't want it in that high, so it's that high frequency beam pinging up and down really fast. I want it to be travelling down slow, so I get a very accurate picture in the deep water, and that's going to give me a potential picture of up to 800 metres, say. Could be more, could be slightly less, depending on where you put it. I would be definitely recommending, Pat, for you to get a through-hull transducer. I think it's gone of the days of uh, transom mounts as such. The reason for this is, a through-hull transducer is placed on the flush of hull, the bottom of your hull. So it's a flush fitting on the bottom of your hull. So you don't have any interference or with your picture on your screen than what you do with having a transom mount transducer, which has potential uh, interference from your wash, which is coming off your propeller and throwing it around. So
3: Okay, say so travelling at speed makes a big difference there, especially when it's... Um, bulk on the back, it just destroys, massive and distorts the image.
0: Yep, your picture you're going to get at speed is going to increase up to 10, 15, 20 knots at times. And for me, it's extremely important because when I'm fishing, and I found a gummy mark that out, um, off I was actually heading to your place a few years ago. This was the first time I'd had a real good transducer on a boat that was through hull picking up really well. And I was heading to your place at 30 odd knots, and I found this beautiful reef in 35, 40, I think about 40 meters of water. And that was at speed. So I could mark that on my unit and then know exactly where I wanted to come try next time. And that was due to being through hull. Where it was transom mounted, I wouldn't have had that clarity on my screen. So that's really, really important to make sure that if you can, if you can, I say it as if you can, get a through hull transducer. Fiberglass boats are much easier to get a through hull transducer put in because you can cut into glass a bit easier, but cutting into a stainless is, I know it's just as easy, but it's a lot of stainless boats do have uh, transom mount, for example, Stabicraft. They, But I would be coming back to definitely getting uh, someone professional to do it. I wouldn't be doing it yourself, mate, unless you know what you're doing because if you have water coming in, you're not only potential at sinking, but you're also potential of ripping that transducer out as well if it starts to tear more and causing more damage.
3: Uh, screen size, bigger isn't always better when it comes to screen size is we have a bit of a difference in opinions when it comes to two versus one versus three versus, well, I saw a boat the other day that had five separate screens in it. Quite extraordinary. Um, what I'm thinking is the 8422, which is a 22-inch screen. It's the largest uh, unit that Garmin have. Most of these screens are fitted into... Ship, know, 60 ships. Foot, <laughs> ships, 60-foot <laughs> Rivieras, but... Um, this new North Bank, its dash has been specifically designed for, for a 22-inch screen, specifically Garmin's 22-inch screen. It's the biggest thing in the marketplace. Um, I'm preferring one. You're thinking two.
0: Yeah, I, I'm not going to say no to you getting that, but I yeah, I definitely... That's big enough to do it. Like, if I had my ultimate, I'd have two of those things. <laughs> That'd be nice. But <laughs> I, the reason I say that, just traveling back and forward in between screens and the likes can be a bit of a pain in the backside at times, but... I'm not. I'm definitely not going to be whinging with that. Pat, we've got a few questions for the social club, so it's now time for the social club. Just, we do. Sorry, that's sorry. all right. We've got, <laughs> we're going to knock through them quickly. Uh, you're going to be asking the first one, I think, from Craig.
3: Yes, Craig. Hi, Aaron. Coming into Melbourne when the COVID nineteen when COVID nineteen is over uh, to fish out of Werribee South. How far do I need to travel for snapper and some flatties as well, mate?
0: Okay, Craig. Pretty. How I like to say it is: if you, we're going to presume COVID's over, Pat. That's what we're going to be talking about. Spending yep. time in the car will save you more time in the water. And Werribee South is a fantastic place to fish. Now, depending on when you're going to fish and where you're going to fish, it's about following the snapper. You don't just want to go to Werribee and presume that you're going to fish out of there and catch snapper straight away. If they're there on the week you're going, you're going to catch them. But if they're over at Carrum or Altona, and there's patches of fish all through that area, that's where what I would be doing. I'd be trying to move and follow the reports, follow our salt guide stuff to where the fish are, rather than just predicting now, going, "Oh crap, I'm going to Werribee." I never ever do that. Like I'll make changes to trip. I will make changes to trips on the day. So if I, for example, if I hear the barrel tuna at Portland, then all of a sudden a mate got none at Portland, but Port Macfish really well in South Australia. I will make the sacrifice and drive an extra hour just to get to where the fish are because I don't want to be sitting out there wasting time. So my option for you is definitely suss out. where a bit. Also look at the local reports. Talk to tackle stores, watch salt guide and keep an idea of actually uh, what's going on. Patrick, I think another question?
3: Yeah, next question is from Ted. Hi, Aaron. I do plenty of diving and I absolutely love it. What is the best time
0: of the year to chase scallops in Port Phillip Bay? All year round if you're dumb enough to get in the water through winter, like a lot of people are. That's just my opinion. <laughs> I don't have the balls to get in there, Patrick. It's too cold for me. I was defrosting bait the other day and my hand was cold. So uh, you'll get them all year <laughs> round, honestly. But for me, I always do a test dummy dive at the start of the season to test out my gear on the scallops in the bay. And uh, that's I do one or two dives for scallops a year. I'm nearly going to make it sound bad because people do love eating them. and I love eating scallops, but I think they're about 18 bucks a kilo. And for the effort that you go to getting them and shucking them all day, like, it gets shucking it, them out. oh, yep. my God, I hate doing I actually hate doing it. So if you are new to it and you do love doing it, all, by all means, go all year round. But, yeah, it's definitely for $18 a kilo I can afford that.
3: Redmond, it is time for our dream boating destination this morning. We're talking about the Whitsundays, which is made up of over 74 islands between north the northeast coast of Queensland and the Great Barrier Reef, with Airlie Beach being... Uh, in the region Central Hub. Um, We've both been there, we've both fished there and both holidayed there. It's a beautiful place.
0: Yeah, it's got a pretty ordinary water temp up there. It only sits on average throughout the year at 27 degrees, um, which is, uh, I don't even think we get that in Melbourne, do we? But (laughs) that water obviously attracts plenty of pelagic fish and also reef fish. Um, If you're looking at somewhere to stay on the islands itself, there's seven islands that actually accommodate uh, different packages and what I mean by packages depend what's in your wallet, and what I mean by that is you can spend some serious money at your top end resorts, or you can spend near to nothing and have a beautiful experience camping. And to be honest with you, that was me. The camping side looks pretty appealing to me. Why Patrick's sitting there in his private resort getting a foot massage? But <laughs> but no, there's, it's got a fantastic uh, it's a fantastic place to fish. Like I said, just a couple of places quickly to wrap up. Uh, it was going to be over time. We rambled on about Patrick's uh, Dream Electronics, but the Nara Inlet, if you try the rock edges around that inlet itself, potential to catching some seriously big dry and Trevally. Daydream Island, we all know day, uh, Daydream Island, beautiful place to stay. The Rocky Headlands, located around the island resort, you're going to get giant Trevally as well as mackerel too. The Hayman Island, you'll find coral trout in the reef holes all through that area. You've also got and unfortunate catch is different styles of uh, trevally, which is also caught in around that area. But be mindful as well that restriction zones, and we, we got a little bit caught out a couple of times when we've travelled, Pat, with some of those, as in we plan to go there but couldn't fish there.
3: There are plenty of fishing chartle, charters available as well for anyone wanting to catch uh, a feed. You can also uh, hire a boat while you're up there as well and head out yourself if that's your sort of thing. Um, as we said. Plenty of day charters right throughout the Whit Sundays, um, and Renegade Fishing Charters is one of our favourites as well.
0: Yeah, it is, and our uh, Whit Sundays Fishing Charters is also magnificent. This is Real Adventures for BF Goodrich. Get up to $150 cash back when you purchase four or more BF Goodrich passenger or SVU tyres and get in before September the 30th. We'll see you after the break. On Real Adventures, it's time to get all aboard for Dometic Mobile Living Made Easy. Welcome back to the show. And it is now time for the Real Adventures Rewind. All aboard for Dometic. Spend more time enjoying your adventure and less time worried about your drinks with the Dometic CFX 3. And today's All Aboard Rewind is back to January 2019 when Eddie Betts joined the show.
1: Now, if there's kids in the background, it's okay. Our special guest this morning is Eddie Betts, father of four and one of the best small Fords in the competition. Good morning, Eduardo. Good morning, Patrick. Good morning, guys. How are you, Eddie? Now, Ed's just come back from oh, uh, the... I was rip- about to say that. He's just from the Murray sort of region down at Wangaratta. Uh, Ed, your in-laws, pretty warm down there at the moment? Yeah, it was. It was
2: about it was 44 the, uh, the day before we got there, and then it, and it got back down to 30, which which was good. Um, but, yeah, it's nice nice fishing up there. It went up to the river. I think it's the ovens. Ovens of the Murray yep, River. Yep. I'm pretty sure. Uh, caught nothing, though. Uh, but we're going for a bit of cod and didn't get a bite. (laughs) Did you use cheese, Ed? (laughs) No, that's the thing, see, because my brother-in-law, he owns a kiwi farm up in Ravale, so that's about a 45-minute drive from Wangaratta. um, And so we went to his kiwi farm. We dug up holes for worms because he gets all these worms. So we're digging up all these holes for worms. A heap of worms. Put them on the hook, threw them out. There was nothing, nothing around. No bite. I thought he was going to say...
0: I he was going to say his brother-in-law ate the cheese before he could use it or
2: something? <laughs> I wanted to get the cheese, and I said, "Let's just get a block of cheese because it worked last time." I was up, uh, caught a couple of cods, but no, I didn't want it. I was going to say you'd, you'd take the block of cheese.
1: Ed, Ed is um, <laughs> a wine connoisseur, so you'd take the cheese and you'd just be uh, sipping wine in the background.
2: <laughs> yeah, all the boys would be like, "Where, where the hell is the cheese?" I had the back out of there and barf the <laughs> and chomping on the cheese. <laughs>
1: Now, obviously, you're from a very, very famous fishing region in South Australia and Australia, really, Port Lincoln. Did you do much fishing growing up? Because it is an incredible fishery, albeit for the fact there are a few great white sharks around that area, Ed.
2: Yeah, I did. And I love fishing down in Ceduna. Um, we went to Yalata, actually, and it's Yalata Beach, where you can go there and just throw the lines in. And there's, like, a lot of mulloway along that way as well. Uh, we caught a few mulloway down there when I was younger, but probably what really got me into fishing was I took my little hand line and went down to Port Lincoln Jetty and, uh, sorry, the, the wharf, not the jetty, the other big green one, down at Port Lincoln, and we're fishing off the wharf and I tied like, my little handline to a, um, a pole and I just kept throwing the line in like that. And there was just a school of salmon and I pulled up about 12, 12 salmon that day and took it home <laughs> to my grandmother to cook up and that's really what got me, like, deeply into fishing because I just kept hooking them.
1: <laughs> now, has that been the same thing that you do with your little fellas now? Obviously, you've got some relatively new uh, twins, but Louie and Billy, they're a bit older now. They can join in with Dad when it comes to fishing.
2: Yeah, I guess. I mean, Louis—Louis Louis loves it. He loves whatever Dad, Dad does. Billy's kind of different. He just does whatever he wants to do. Like, he's, just, he's, <laughs> up and he's got his own mind and just play a game, keeps himself occupied, but Louie wants to hang around Dad Play footy with dad, go fishing, go on a boat, and you know we recently went squidding just down at um, Silver Sands, I think it is. That's it here in Adelaide, Silver Sands, is that the beach called? Yep, yep it is. Yeah, I went to Silver Sands and, and went squidding down there, and me and Louis just sat on their little dinghy and pulled up uh, 13 squid, which is, which is unbelievable.
0: If you were going but fishing uh, with Billy Ed, you wouldn't have a worry about the uh, the river going dry, would you? Because you'd find a yeah, tree to. No. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, the thing is, he came on the boat with us and he actually pulled up his squid. Well, I, I hooked it for him and he pulled it up. And he goes, okay, Dad, I want to go back to Mum now. And we'll, <laughs> we're pretty far out. i like, we just took us half an hour to get out of here. we've got to go He's... half an hour back that way to, to
1: chuck him off. <laughs> now, let's talk uh, your greatest ever catch, Ed. Everyone's got one. Uh, Where in Australia <laughs> or in the world have you been that's been a phenomenal bucket list catch for you?
2: I've, uh, I've, I didn't think I was going to catch it, though, but I went to Mexico, went on a footy trip, actually, and um, all the boys were on the drink, as they do, and on a footy trip, and I decided, me and Ryan Jackson and Paul Bauer, for uh, Carlton at that time, decided we'll just go for a fish. Um, we're in Mexico, <laughs> why not? So we went out, um, had a fish in Mexico, and we ended up snaring a, a swordfish, this massive big sawfish took us an hour and a bit to reel in. Me and, me and Ryan Jackson took turns on it while Paulie Bauer, <laughs> true story, Paulie Bauer was hungover from the night before and just spewing the whole time on the boat. <laughs> while while we are reeling this big sawfish, <laughs> and he just rah, rah, spewing on the other side, just, just hating life in the boat. Uh, but yeah, that was probably one of the greatest catches, or not, is is the greatest catch that I've ever done. That I'm and we sitting caught other three a... dolphins fish.
1: I'm sitting here with a very, very jealous co-host because
0: swordfish is one of your bucket list items. I've only ever hooked three and lost three (laughs) at the boat. One was a a monster. The other two were pretty nice fish. And uh, it actually annoys me a bit that you've done that, Eddie. (laughs) (laughs) He's good at everything, Eddie.
2: (laughs) Oh, God. You got a few dolphin fish as well? I haven't done one thing. I'll tell you the truth. I haven't done one thing, and that's being on Patty's boat. That's I've a been lie. On the, Last, I've been—I've been on the smaller one, not the, the <laughs> new one you have, but the hey, bigger Ed. one that you promised me on.
0: Ed, you've got to be really careful. You've got to take your um, allergies tablets before you go out on it, because the dust on it from sitting there just—you will you'll start
2: sneezing. <laughs> yeah, but I'll tell you the true story. Right, I got drafted to Adelaide. You know, first person, first person I met was Patrick Dangerfield. Yeah, in the contract, you get a ride on Patty's boat. <laughs> no, you year goes by, no, two years, no, three years. No, it gets traded. I'm like, wow, I'm never going to go for a ride now. And then, uh, you had to earn your stripes. you, you oh, I'm trying to, but you, you went left us. <laughs> so end up going for a drive down to Mog's Creek and he, he took us out and, uh, on the little one. Not the big one, the little one. Yeah, which well, is he's nice. Nearly,
0: Pat? Well, he's nearly got another little one, which is
1: arriving, uh, what is it, Patrick, Thursday or last Thursday? Last Thursday, the new craft gets in got in so that's Ooh. Ed you've still got a few more sort of brownie points that you need to earn before you get on the big boat but maybe well, the what you is know. that babysitting Georgia <laughs> now yeah, do. we don't want to I, I did promise you I'd keep it just to fishing but in just checking your games played Ed you're five off 300 um, yes f- for a young fella coming from Port Lincoln playing at the colder Cannons, um, being drafted in the pre-season draft. Did you ever envisage that you would get to 300 games?
2: No, no, I didn't, Pat. And uh, yeah, it's unbelievable, just thinking about it. I actually was going through it the other day. Um, you know, just going through guys who played 300 games, especially the Indigenous guys as well. Uh, we're looking at you know, Adam Goods, Michael O'Loughlin, Kevin Wayne, um, Sean Burgoyne and Andrew McLeod. And so the five of those names, you know, that's I, I've, I feel embarrassed joining that that company of of names because they're, they're unbelievable players. And um, yeah, I guess I to, to be honest. I just can't wait. Uh, and I actually looked at the fixtures. We're actually playing um, Gold Coast, I think it is here at uh, at Adelaide Oval at round five, and um, we play Carlton round seven. And I always I always imagine playing three hundred games against Carlton against Carlton. <laughs> yeah so I can't fully into anything because in <laughs> I don't want to do that <laughs> 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 three times um, and just get
1: back well, I don't think you you know mentioned some illustrious names, but I don't think if you added up all their leading goal kickers that they would equal your six time leading goal kickers for two different clubs plus three three All-Australians, It's not bad Ed.
2: <sighs> yeah i don't I don't think about that uh Pat yeah, maybe but... you should
1: start passing. Pat
2: does. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I do pass Patrick. I've given you some <laughs> in the time that you've been around. Uh, but, yeah, no, it's, it's an unbelievable achievement. But yeah, I just can't wait to, to basically get out there and play, actually. To be honest, I love the game. I love footy and I, I'll play till my body tells me I can't play anymore. Uh, I've got two years left of my contract running at um, Adelaide and Pat threw a contract at me at the end of that to come to Geelong and we'll see what happens. <laughs> Just sit at the feet, and I'll be playing
1: deep by then, Redmond. So yeah, yeah you're just, playing just deep. as bad as each other. What about, about South Australia, Ed? Um, have you been out fishing for snapper over there? Obviously, it's one of the best snapper fisheries in Australia. Have you had time, or the or the four kids and uh, and Anna keep you pretty busy?
2: No, I did, Pat. I actually um, I actually went out with Andy Otten. Uh, one of his friends took us out on a boat. I think you might know him, but I forgot his name. That'd be rookie. That'd be rookie. Uh, yes. Rookie, that dude, yep. yeah. yeah we, that dude. <laughs> you know, that we, uh, we caught a couple of snappers. I caught the biggest snapper there. I put it on Instagram, and you actually commented <laughs> on that photo saying, any close to the camera, Ed, and it would hit it. <laughs> you know, you try and make that photo, the, the snapper look big, you hold it at a certain angle. and yeah, um, it's, all about, it's all about tricks possession. of the trade, Ed, tricks of the trade. i tell you what, though, like these, these guys over here in Adelaide, they fish? They got their own territory. I didn't know that territory over here. And they yeah, like it's like when someone comes
1: they, in. It's like when someone comes near your pocket. Yeah, and you push, You're pushing the other half forwards out of the way. It's like, mate, they're
2: allowed in the forward line as well. Yeah, I know, and like I was fishing with, with, with the guys, and they like, there's a boat, boat's like nearly five k's away. It's like a little thing in the distance, and I'm like, oh, they're the coming here. We've got to try to change yeah. out so they don't come near us. We'll just drive away a little bit, knowing that this is our spot. And like, it's it's weird how they do it. Like, they're very competitive. Very territorial. Us fishermen like our own uh, spacehead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but it's great. You know, it's funny you say that. I got a message um, two days ago about going tuna fishing today um, down at Victor Harbour. A few guys that I went squidding with down at Silver Sand offered me to go down tuna fishing. Uh, but I couldn't because I got stuff on today. I was spilling them, though. Cause I was, well, you yeah, had real adventures. I was loved one.
1: Well, he's Paddy? the Mayor of Adelaide. He's the Mayor of Adelaide. Who's so got a few toes on, Red? <laughs> well, after you left it, Paddy. <laughs> you hey, Ed, before we let you go, uh, AFLX is heading up. He's coming up on us very quickly. You are one of the captains. You're the captains of the Deadlies. Uh, yep. When's the draft and uh, who are you recruiting? Can you give us any sort of inside information before it all kicks off?
2: I can, Patrick. I just uh looked at my squad last night actually. I got an email from, from the AFL, and my squad, it's <laughs> there's about fifty small forwards, two midfielders, <laughs> one tall back, one tall back, and that's it. So I'm gonna have to get these small forwards to play key or, or play tall back or something like that. uh uh yeah. And I looked at a squad that you guys have to pick with and it's unbelievable. I'm coming up against it. So you he making
0: excuses already, Pat?
2: Ed's going to play no, half-back this time. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to work out which more forward I'm going to play in the Mitchell to play on Patrick and Matt Fyfe and the Cribs. <laughs> it's safe to say so it's going to be there. an attacking I be, game. I won't be up there. I won't be, be up <laughs> there. I'll be just forward. Forward and off. But it's the going good to be fighting. It's a good
0: the good thing with the competition, Pat, is all the stars are playing, isn't it?
1: They are, and they don't come any bigger than Eddie Betts. Ed, thanks for joining us this morning on Real Adventures, sharing your passion for fishing the outdoors, and, of course, footy. You're an absolute star. I love – well, I don't like playing against you. That's a lie. Love far preferred playing with you. But thanks again, Ed. You're a champ. <laughs>
0: thanks, guys. Thanks, Pat. That was the Real Adventures Rewind for Dometic Mobile Living, made easy. And now it's time for Red's review for Auto One. Get Dad something he'll love this Father's Day at Auto One. Patrick, speaking of Auto One, I'm sure you could find what we're about to discuss there. Cup holders. Today's review is cup holders. And let's be honest, these
3: are a critical part of any boat. If you like yourself, you love a bit of a froth. If you like myself, well, Max, more along the lines of Peppy Max. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But I've made the mistake previously, Redmond, when I've had cup holders in my boat. One, they're not in a readily available position. And two, when I've had them installed, I haven't put anything underneath them. So whatever drink that I've had, it's always either scuffed the fiberglass or scuffed the aluminium. Gotcha. And eventually, it just ends up looking like absolute crap. Because I don't, I, I, every time I have a, uh, like a stubby holder, I lose it. So, the next boat, it's going to have something that is actually scuff-proof underneath my cup holder.
0: Well, there's a few options. You've got the blue line folding drink holder. Now the problem with those is you sort of you you've got to screw them into your hull, which can be you don't really want to screw things into your hull as such. A lot of people don't. They're alright if they're convenient, but they're also not that strong either. But for ten dollars, and they are they are a convenient thing to purchase. But they've also got this one, which is removable, and I think this is a good idea. Your stainless rail mount holders, Pat, and they're around thirty dollars each. But the thing with those is they're strong, they're stainless. You can re- remove them and place them wherever you want around the hull on any given day. So, say for example, you're going out with a couple of mates and planning to have, the boys are planning to have a few beers. You can take them out and actually put them on the side of the, the rails where they're going to be fishing from, so they can grab their uh, grab their jamo and have it have a swig of it, or you can grab your Pepsi <laughs> Max. But another option that you could do, Pat, is when you are designing a boat is also get them built into the hull. And I know Stabycraft that I had, the 2100, that had them built into the hull itself. But the issue with those is a lot of people don't drill holes in the bottom of them. So all of a sudden, you've got water, which is going to sit in your uh, actual cup holders as such. And quite often yeah. when you've got cup holders around the boat, pad, you will tend to put your micro jigs in there or your little lasers or your plastics. And all of a sudden, the water fills up, you leave them in there and they, you naturally just leave stuff in your cup holders in your boat and they rust out as well. So what, what, what do you reckon you'll, you'll do? Well,
3: the, the biggest thing for me is I, and you mentioned it before, I hate screwing things onto the boat. Yep. Like I love having things built in, especially with my 15-foot davy. This electrolysis. It's just a killer. Mm, mm. And and no matter what, it is going to happen, especially if it's, a, it's an add-on accessory. I've actually... I've added on a couple of cup, cup holders to my boat. Instead of screwing it on, I have actually used Sikaflex. haven't used a huge amount because I didn't want it to sort of bulge out the side and then just look crap, um, but I've used it internally and it's worked really well. Now, I'm sure at some stage it's going you know, to wear thin and break off, but it just irks me every time I see something drilled into the hull. You want to use stainless steel screws, obviously, but the, the electrolysis that happens when you're combining those two
0: and aluminium
3: and stainless. It
0: just it just ends up looking crap. Yeah, I'm not a massive fan of drilling into the hull. I'm, I reckon for me, you, you, well, another option just comes to my head there, Pat, is you've obviously got a bait board on your boat too. So you can get, uh, actually, Cameron White, good friend of the show, he's got ones that actually suction to the side of the bait board and they haven't moved. I'm just thinking literally off the top of my head now. So they're another option, ones that actually suck to your bait board. And let's be honest, here in Victoria, you're doing 90% of your fishing at the back of the boat. and I know it's, it's, people go, well, you always do your fish at the back of the boat, but that's not true. If you're up north and you're in rivers and, and the likes... A lot of the time you're walking around uh, centre consoles. and So put these where you actually are convenient for the day you're heading out fishing for whatever it's for. And like I said before, suction cup, you can actually remove them around the boat. So, yeah, cup holders, I can guarantee you I'll have one uh, next to the driver's wheel in the, in the new boat. I can put it there, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> that was Red's review for Auto One. If your dad really loves cars, then Auto One's the number one place to go this Father's Day.
1: You're listening to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich, celebrating 150
0: years. Welcome back to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich, celebrating 150 years. And before we get into Red's tip, Patrick, I'm not sure if it's going to be allowed or you're going to get chased out, but you are heading back to Adelaide, I don't know when, in the next couple of days, I think, to play on tomorrow? Today? The next couple of hours. When do you leave?
3: We head off this afternoon. Oh sure. Uh, fly in stay the night, um, and then play uh, tomorrow at one o'clock and then fly out so catch well, I'd like to catch up with a few of the boys, but that won't be happening obviously with uh with the sort of quarantine rig. So see them on the field and um, beautiful place, SA. Won't be doing any snapper fishing unfortunately. There's still a band over there for a few more years, but one of the great places in Australia to visit, that's for sure.
0: Might sound like a dumb question, but with the fixture where it is, I actually haven't looked and I forgot what I tipped. Who are you playing? <laughs> Adelaide. Oh, you are going we played,
3: out. We had we played port last week. Mate, I thought you were in Telongas.
0: Oh role. I am, but it's COVID, mate, you don't know who we're gonna be. One minute you're in WA playing against Brisbane, then you're back over in Gold Coast. Now you're in Adelaide playing Adelaide. You played port where'd you play port in Gold Coast last week?
3: Yeah, okay, I'll let you off this <laughs> one. But yes, back to the old stomach ground. Adelaide Oval, just one of the most picturesque probably the most picturesque Oval in Australia play footy out in my
0: opinion. I went there um, for the first time last year uh, to watch the uh, Renegade, uh, sorry, this Adelaide Strikers uh, play and I'd never been to the Oval and you obviously hear every uh, athlete like yourself and Cameron and all that, they all say that the Adelaide Oval is the number one place they really enjoy playing as in pictures, I can't even say the word, picturesque? <laughs> picturesque.
3: Well, it is picturesque, but it's, in a world of, you know, where every new stadium that's built really does feel like a sort of concrete coliseum, Adelaide Oval has a soul to it that I haven't seen replicated by any other uh, ground around Australia. There's just something truly special about it, whether it's the hill, whether it's, you know, how it is and how it sits in North Adelaide surrounded by a beautiful parkland. No, there's just something very, very special about it.
0: Anyway, Red's well, tip. I'm about to say Red's tip, and you can say no comment this, but you'd probably be glad that you're not playing for Adelaide anymore. Just saying. <clears throat> time for Red's tip. <laughs> if you could only see his face right now, it's time for Let's Red's tip. Get on to Red's tip. <laughs> Red's tip this week is calamari. Now, I posted up a couple of Instagram uh, stories during the week, as I do with the, the seafood that we cook, and I had multiple messages people asking me on how. I get the calamari to curl up and look, have that pattern on the backside of the uh, tube itself or the piece that you're eating. Does that make sense, Pat, what I'm trying to say? Yes, that, it does. Yeah. Yep. So it all comes down to when you're scoring the calamari. So you don't when you're scoring it, you got. You, I always open my tubes. I don't often do rings. So the tubes are open. You need to have your cuts, so your slices through the actual tube itself without going through, no more than a centimetre apart. On each, uh, on on each angle on the light on the way through the tube. So you're angling it across and no more than a centimeter. I'd go just under, uh, just under a centimeter towards half a centimeter of how far I'd have it. And you've got to do that diagonally across again the other way. Now the key to it is make sure you actually score the inside of the tube, not the outside. The inside is what gives it that rollover and that look. So when you're scoring it, to tell the difference between the inside and the out. Uh, we'll call it the feather. A squid have the backbone, the feather that runs through the back of the squid, to tell the, to tell if you're on the inside or the outside of it. The actual outside has you can down the middle of the tube naturally has like a a indent of where the uh, the feather was sitting. On the inside, it actually indents in. So that there is the side that you want to be scoring, and that there is how you're going to get your nice curled up pieces of calamari that everyone tries to get when they are cooking it. bat. hope that helps you.
3: Help you? It does. It's time. <laughs> it does. Time for the flying gaff. The flying gaff this week. I'd like to say he's going to Nicole, but good luck catching her. Nicole is a great white shark, and Fishing Australia TV actually posted this or reposted uh, NOAA science on a Sears Facebook post. And what it's illustrating is how far this great white shark has actually swum. It's Navigated from South Africa to Australia, Australia, Sound like a me. total of 11,000 11, kilometres in just 99 days. Quite extraordinary. Um, you know, most people thinking that, and we've been taught that uh, great white sharks stay close to the coast, but if you have a look at this post, it shows um, the shark in real time through that 99 day span, literally
0: passing through you know, the world's open oceans from one continent to Australia. Quite extraordinary. So 99 days, how many kilometres again was it? 11,100 k. Africa to Oof. Australia. Good luck, like you said, trying to fly. You're going to need about 55 flying gaps to get that thing anyway. But you've been listening to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich, celebrating 150 years. Patrick, you're about to get on a plane. I don't know what I'm going to do today. I might kick back and do nothing like I do every other day. But this is the COVID world we live in. Everyone stay safe and we'll see you next week.
1: Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Maccas. Together and loving it. TNCs apply.